Storehouse Dallas. We are continuing our series in the summer of summer in Hebrews, and so we'll be in chapter six today. Um, but I just want to um, just say something real quick about about worship. Um, what God was doing in worship was just really precious. Um, but I, I believe He wants us to know today that it's that we are what things that like that are, that happen in worship. It's much more than coming to a good worship service. It's much more than saying, "Oh, I got this amazing experience in worship." God's releasing His glory in a powerful way in this age, in this generation that He's never done before. And I believe that He just is He's saying that the the glory of the latter house, the glory of the end time church, is going to far exceed the glory of the first church in the first century. And we want to prepare our hearts for it. And I believe this book of Hebrews is really, God is opening up this book to the body of Christ to get our backs in line, to get our minds aligned with the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come to this room now. Fill our hearts with light and understanding. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. Help us gain insight to this wonderful book. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little review of just the overall message of Hebrews. The main point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make all throughout the book, I would sum up in one phrase. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets, Hebrews chapter 1. He's better than the angels, Hebrews chapter 2. He's better than Moses, Hebrews chapter 3. The greatest man of the Old Testament. No other prophet like this man, Moses. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Joshua. In Hebrews 4, Jesus is better than Aaron, the high priest, Hebrews chapter 5. And what we're coming to now that we're shifting into in this book, very important to pay attention, is that Jesus is better than all of the priesthood of the order of Moses and of Levi. And he is stepping into his role as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And these next few chapters that Tracy's going to begin unpacking next week about this priesthood of Melchizedek are of extreme importance to every one of you, to me, and to the body of Christ. Through Jesus, we have a better high priest, a better covenant, better promises, a better sacrifice, and better blood. So if that's the main point, Jesus is better is the main message of Hebrews, I would say this is the main exhortation. So there's a point he's making, but there's an exhortation. There's a response that he's calling his his audience to, and that's this. You started well, keep going. Don't drift back. Press forward. Be strong and finish well. That's the message of this book. Chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews will communicate this exhortation with strong language, probably some of the strongest, most sobering language that we find in our New Testament. And it's a passage that's been a great source of controversy really throughout all of church history because it really causes us to wrestle with this issue of whether or not a believer can, quote, lose his or her salvation. 
Now, this is an intense chapter with an intense passage, um, but um, the worst thing that we can do with this passage is ignore it. And unfortunately, that's what many, too many people have done. Um, but for this reason, we're going to read it. We're going to read the whole chapter in just a moment. And we're going to look at specific, this specific passage of the chapter carefully. And I hope to bring some clarity and some light that's not only going to help us land somewhere theologically, but that's actually going to energize your spirit to move you forward in your Christian life and to prepare your mind and your heart to hear this meaty, Necessary teaching on the priesthood of Melchizedek. Amen? So last week, chapter 5, ended with a rather intense rebuke. And I encourage you to listen to Tracy's message if you haven't. But in sum, it, he's, the writer is saying, some of you have been Christians so long that you should be teachers by now. And I want to talk about this Melchizedek guy to you, but you're dull of hearing. And you're like babies that need milk. This is not a compliment. <laughs> but what he's doing in chapter 6 is he introduces in chapter 5, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, there's something here. I want to tell you guys, I want you to pay attention. I know you can't pronounce it. You may not be able to spell it, but this guy is really important and you've got to pay attention. Pay attention to me today. Amen? All right, let's read chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. We're just going to read it all the way through. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, I don't mean to flop around from one translation to another, but I really enjoy this. I, use, I primarily use New Living or New American Standard um, version of the Bible. New King James is another great translation. Um, I know many of you have. So if this is different from what you're seeing, um, you can look at it on the screen as well. But it's, it is really helpful to kind of compare what, um, how other groups of people have translated this passage from the Greek. So Hebrews chapter 6. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature. And our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field produces, bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, we don't really believe it applies to you. We're confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. 
He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire, pay attention here, is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Key verse. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain, very key, into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He's become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Well, if we've done anything beneficial today, we've read the Word of God. I hope to unpack it a little bit for you. So we saw here in chapter 6, he is preparing the audience that he's writing to to receive some teaching about the order of Melchizedek and why this is important to them as believers. And he does this, he prepares their dull minds in two ways. He gives them a message that is meant to stir intense sobriety and a message that is intended to ignite immense hope. And as believers in Christ, we need a healthy diet in our lives of sobriety and of hope. We need a healthy understanding of the goodness of God and the severity of God. And without both of these facets of the nature of God, we will not walk forward on this narrow path until the end. So I'm going to bring both of these to you today. So this sobering warning that he brings, let's start with this. So in verse 1 to 3, the author is mentioning six foundations that every single Christian needs to have. If you're a Christian, you need to have these foundations in your life. If you're someone that teaches Christians, you lead a life group, you meet one-on-one -on -one with someone for coffee, you teach in a Sunday school or a Wednesday night Bible study, your followers need to know these six things. Number one, repentance from dead works. It's important to know that you've got to turn away from sin. It's the foundation. But then secondly, to turn toward God in faith. So you're turning Away from sin, but toward God in faith. 
Second foundation. Third, the teaching on baptisms. Fourth, the laying on of hands. Fifth, the resurrection of the dead. And finally, the eternal judgment. These are things that every Christian needs to know to have a solid foundation. And a lot of us in here have been believers for a number of years, so I'm not going to unpack these things, um, but I want to tell you today that you need to get these. If you are a newer believer, if you have had some kind of teaching on these, but you're just not real clear on, okay, I, don't, I haven't really had a lot of teaching on laying on of hands or baptisms, plural, what's that about? Um, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. That's, if, if you need that, I want to recommend a great resource um, called the Purple Book. <laughs> and we have a number of them. So come talk to me afterwards if you need one of those. I want to get you access to that. So, um, and I, I'm a believer that we need reminders of those as Christians. Um, but um, um, hopefully, if you've been a believer for a number of years now, that you won't need just an overhaul foundation on these teachings. Um, I want to plead with you to move on from these things because it's not good if we've been a believer for decades and we're still having to constantly go back to these things. Now, I think about it this way. A house needs a foundation, correct? You can't build any walls. You can't build any roof. No pipes, no bathrooms, no beautiful tile till that foundation's laid. And if there's something wrong with that foundation, it will knock off the stability of the entire house. And so sometimes we, as even mature believers, might need a little bit of adjustment, but I hope that we don't have to do an overhaul. And if we do, come talk to me. We'll get you. We'll get you going. Okay, but we want to move on from these teachings today, and we will do so if God permits. The writer of Hebrews says. So Hebrews six chapter or verse four is where it really gets kind of heated, and this is the very controversial passage. Um, it's an intense warning. And it, it says it's impossible for someone to be renewed again to a repentance that, falls, that has fallen away. Um, so what do we do with this passage? Um, this is, this is, is, what does this mean for me as a believer? What does this mean as, as I'm telling people about Christ? Um, I think we can all agree that this is an intense warning. And the they of that passage, they that fall away, they that have fallen away. We all know we don't want to be the they, right? We all agree with that. And so we find one way or another to make sure we're not the they. Um, and because it's such an intense passage, people have come up with a few different ways to interpret it. First of all, people have taken this passage to say that the they refers to people who were never born again in the first place. Never had a true, genuine relationship with Jesus. May have come to church, lifted their hands, sang all the songs, read the Bible, but some regenerating work in their heart never actually occurred. And so fall away is not from salvation necessarily because they never had it. It's just the falling away from this profession of faith or this interest in Christ. So that's one way. Another way people have interpreted this is to take it as a completely hypothetical situation. So it's an intense warning that it's impossible to renew this person again to repentance um, but it's really not something that would actually happen. It's just meant to kind of get their attention. 
It is an empty threat to get us to behave properly. And if you can tell by my tone, that is not how I think we should read this passage. (laughs) A third way is that fall away refers to losing the experience of salvation on this side of eternity, but not the next. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 3 um, um, that it's one supporting passage here that talks about um, people that build on a foundation, not of Christ, and that they're going to stand on the day of judgment and that the fire of the judgment day is going to test each person's work. And some people will come in and they'll stand before Jesus and everything they've built in their life and in their ministry and their vocation, if it's been on a strong, solid foundation of Christ, it's going to pass the test and it's going to carry over to eternity. But those that build on wood, hay, stubble, it's going to burn. All of their works, all of their life work will be burned. And they'll be saved, so they'll actually step into eternity, but as through fire. It will be an intense experience. And, and a book that, you, that might interest you on this is a book called Placebo. A man named Howard Pittman dies, goes to heaven for real, and actually has an experience like this. And it's very sobering. So even if this is the right interpretation, we need to pay attention to this warning. Because <laughs> we don't want to be in that place. The fourth way to take this passage, the they that fall away and cannot be renewed to repentance the fourth way to look at it is that this is, in fact, talking about born-again Christians. This is that it's not only possible for them to fall away to a degree that they cannot return, but that it is impossible for them to be renewed to repentance. And that is the language of this text. So which is it? Who are the they? People that never got saved in the first place, born-again believers, saved us through fire, or, you know, who is this? Well, let's look at the language here, just for a moment, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. And you can see some of it on the slide up there, or you can look in your own Bibles. Um, I'm just going to highlight it, just go through it one by one. First of all, these are people that were um, enlightened, the Bible says. Um, This is the same word, Ephesians 1, 17, that the uh, Father of glory would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that that uh, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, filled with light, that you may understand and know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and so forth. Um, So they've been enlightened. Light has shone into their hearts. It's Paul saying that the God who has shined light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. That's this word that's going on here. These are people that have tasted of the heavenly gift. Um, The New Living says experienced. So this is not just people that have heard about it. This is not people that have heard a good gospel message and that started coming to church because it sounded kind of cool. It is an experiential encounter that they had with the heavenly gift, which is the gift of righteousness. They have become partakers or sharers in the Holy Spirit. Once again, these these are people not that have 
seen cool things happen. They don't just come up and they see the people fall down and get healed. They've actually experienced the, the, a share in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. This is a powerful word, partakers. It, it, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 10. That, that In the Lord's Supper, it's a sharing, it's a participation, it's a communion, a fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Powerful language that's being used here. They have tasted of the good word of God. So they didn't just hear it, they accepted it. It went on the inside. They tasted, they chewed it, they digested it. It went on the inside of them. And five, they tasted of the powers of the age to come. It's an intense phrase here. So maybe that they had been healed. Maybe they healed others. Maybe they cast out demons in the name of Jesus and taught in the streets. But then they stood in front of him on the day of judgment. And he says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And notice also that the text says, not only have they fall, having fallen away, but the words impossible to be renewed, renewed. When you're renewed, you've been new before, and you're renewed again. That word in Greek, palin, it means again. And so they had been, they experienced repentance at one time, but now it's impossible. My conclusion is that if we take an honest look at the language of this text, that this is a real warning to real believers about something that could really happen. That if a born-again, spirit-filled believer that falls away in the manner described here in the book of Hebrews, that it would be impossible to renew them again to repentance. Because they crucify the Son of God again. And put him to public shame. And they will answer for that when they stand before Jesus. We're going to talk about fall away in a moment. So um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is, this is intense. How can this be? Now, there are a number of verses, I, I won't lie, that seem to suggest that once salvation is received, it's permanent no matter what we do. And I'm just going to list a few, but there's a whole long list here that I've had to wrestle with. Um, what I can't do is I can't ignore Hebrews chapter 6, and neither can you. John 3.16, he who believes will not perish but have everlasting life. John 5.24, those who believe will never be condemned for their sins. John 6.37, those whom the Father has given to me will come to me. I will never cast them out. John 10.28, my sheep know my voice. They will never perish. No one can snatch them from me. I mean, this is powerful language. This is language of preservation, of God keeping us. Um, 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 Jude says that he is able to keep us from stumbling. Um, there's a real power there. Romans 8, 35, who can separate us then from the love of Christ? Who can tear us away from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? 
These are verses that I meditate on that, that energize me and that encourage me that, God, you got me, <laughs> okay? And he does. He does got you. Even Hebrews 8, 12, so he says, I will, the new covenant, I will forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. That's the good news of the covenant, the new covenant. The good news of the new covenant is, is Jesus, I pour out my blood. We just took communion. This is my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness in the Greek, ephemi, it's, it's a sending away. It's he's casting our sins as far as the east is from the west. I will remember your sins no more. He deletes it from his memory. This is good news. And we need to feed our hearts on the goodness and the mercy of God to walk straight this narrow path. But we must also look at these verses that are to bring us some sobriety. Matthew 7, Luke 6, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. These are people that taught in the, in, in the streets about Jesus, who cast out demons in his name, who prophesied in his name. And he says, depart from me, workers of lawlessness. I've never knew you. Matthew 24, 14, those who endure till the end will be saved. So there's a call for endurance till the end. We got to make it to the finish line, guys. We can't just say one and done, I'm going to sit down and relax. No, we say one and done, but one and done is supposed to fuel me to move, 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 move. Faith, it's got to move. Luke 9, 62, anyone who puts his hand to the plow, Jesus says, and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Romans 11, this is intense. 20 to 21, Paul's talking about Israel and God's election, sovereign election, even over unsaved Jews and their relationship between being a Christian and being, I mean, we can, you know, spend a, I have done, I did a whole session on that just a year ago. Um, but, but we as Gentiles, we've been grafted in to the, to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I can rightly call myself a son of Abraham. I am a, I am a son of Abraham and I inherit the blessing of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. And that Jews that have not believe that, that, that Jesus came and they rejected him. Romans 9 through 11 says they are branches that have been broken off, but they've been preserved. Give my teaching from last year to hear me unpack that. So, so we've got broken branches and Paul's saying, you're Gentiles, you're a wild olive branch, you're, you're worshiping pagans and demons, but God, he broke off the unbelieving Jews and he grafted you in to this olive tree of salvation, of this promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's saying, don't brag about this. Don't brag and say, hey, look at me. I'm a Gentile Christian. Sorry for you, unbelieving Jew. He says, don't brag about this. But what does he say to do? He says, but fear what could happen. If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. This is intense. John 15, 6, Jesus himself. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch. A useless branch. A useless branch. It's intense language. To be burned. And then Hebrews will revisit this again in chapter 10. 
And the writer will say, if we deliberately, if we, 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 you and me, you and I, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Only terrible, terrible, terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. <sighs> Hebrews has already in the past few chapters warned us as believers. How will we, Hebrews chapter 2, escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Hebrews 3.12, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. See, so the writer of Hebrews here, he's giving them this sober kick because he's saying, if you, you don't want to get into that hardened, evil, unbelieving heart, we ought to tremble with fear, Hebrews 4.1, that some of you might fail to experience this rest. Verse 11, if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will, we, 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 we will fall. In Hebrews 5, 11, you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. I mean, the writer of Hebrews here is not waving an empty threat at these people. He is, I believe, as a father, as a pastor, he is looking at them and just grieving and just saying, this is what you're about to do right now, and I'm trying to get you to line back up and to break off and to, and to turn away from all that deluded thinking that you've allowed to creep into your hearts. And beloved, I'm telling you, the enemy just gets in with one little seed after another. And then you look over, you've, you've let that one seed germinate, and then another seed germinate, and then another seed germinate, and, and then you start, it starts affecting your behavior. You know, that belief system starts getting in little by little, but then it's like, well, what if I, you know, just kind of date this unbeliever? Maybe God can bring them to the Lord too. What if I just, you know, go out with buddies and da-da-da-da and talk to so-and-so and, you know. And then it just keeps on going and it keeps on going and it starts. And then, and, and I mean, I've met, I've met a number of people that start doing that and they're like, ah, and they, and they get, they realize what they've done. They get back in and that's a good thing. God's going to take you back. <laughs> I want to I give you confidence in that. But there are others I've seen that just keep going and keep going and keep going. And what happens is the deceitfulness of sin plants deep into their hearts, and they begin getting so hardened and dull. They come to a worship service. They don't feel God anymore like they used to. And I don't want to get into some people feel God in ways that other people don't. But I'm telling you, people that would cry, that would weep, and da da da, and that experience God, and that come in and are just like, I am just like not here in worship. And that becomes their regular pattern. And they're like, I can't even really hang around Christians anymore. And they start surrounding themselves with people they feel like they can relate to better, that aren't believers. And I believe in meeting unbelievers and 
drawing them in and loving them into the kingdom. But if I'm putting myself in the pool of unbelievers constantly and letting, hearing their words and letting it come in little by little, I have become intoxicated with the wisdom of this world that is leading me into the same life that they are. And I just want to plead with you. If that's where you've been, if you've been feeding on that, I want to say, get back over here. Your son, your daughter. We want to carry through to the end. Um, now, f- fall away in this passage. Um, I, don't, I don't believe this is just some light terminology. This isn't somebody that just fell into sin, fell into temptation, is struggling in their sin. I mean, there is a night and day difference between a sincere believer that is going after God, pursuing God with their whole heart, and is in the process of overcoming a sin habit and sin issue in their life, and is sincerely waging war against this sin. I don't want this. Ah, I did it again. Coming back in, and I just, I just say this. I believe it's so important to get for people that are um, in some kind of pornography addiction, um, and and people that are. Con- what happens with pornography is that uh, people get lured into it. They hate it, um, but then they they and they wage war on it, and they want to say, "No, I I, I want to follow God." And they need to know that God forgives you. They need to know that you're a new creation in Christ. They need to know that you're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, and they need to feed on that. But there's that there's also um, um, I, I there is some urgency surrounding it too, because if you're feeding your mind in pornography and you're not really making decisions that to get you out of that, you are on a dangerous road. Now, if you're sincere and just, I don't want this, I don't know what to do. I mean, someone's going to come in and say, well, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Let's, let's talk about some things to help you overcome that. And if there's that yes in, in their hearts, yes, da, 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 uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and, and we may be weak in, in, in fulfilling that prescribed repentance, <laughs> um, um, of breaking agreement with lies, of keeping ourselves. As Paul says, do not present yourself, the, the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't put yourself in tempting circumstances. <laughs> if you know that this situation is more tempting for you, don't go there. <laughs> put some blocks around it. Oh, yes. Oh, that's so helpful. Yes. We're walking up, oh, fell again, but oh, yeah, I don't want this wage war. That person, I just want to tell you right now, there's a fountain of grace and mercy available to you. You can keep coming back to God, but you're going to have to get open and vulnerable. And you're going to have to be willing to do what God prescribes to you if you really want to overcome this thing. But fall away here is, is, is intense. See, because remember, the people, the recipients of the book of Hebrews were Christians of a Jewish background. And what was happening here is that they left the synagogues because they were like, I have faith in Jesus now. And they began associating with this believing community. Um, and many of them still likely practiced uh, many aspects of Judaism. Um, and chapter 10 tells us they started undergoing some persecution that they had property confiscated, that some people had been thrown in prison. Um, the writer says, I know you guys have just, you've, you've, been, you've befriended and you've taken care of those that have been in prison. He's commending them. He's saying, keep doing this. They've probably faced public ridicule and they've lost some friends. They've been kicked out of the synagogue. Um, but the, but the, 
um, the pressure's getting hot. Their kids at school are, are getting picked on and pushed around. Because Christianity is not a legal religion. So not only did it just Jewish unbeliever or, or, or Gentile pagan, I mean, it's just they, Christianity is not legal. And the Roman Empire is starting to get involved here. And not only are kids getting picked on and pushed around at school, but it's saying we're going to start coming knocking on some doors and locking some people up. And this started shaking them. And some of them started drifting. They did have an out because Judaism was still a, a registered religion with the Roman Empire. And they as Jews, in order to avoid increasing persecution, they could reincorporate themselves and their families into the synagogue. Kids quit getting picked on. Government officials with machine guns stop showing up at your door, threatening to take away your kids. On one condition they stand in the synagogue and publicly deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, people that do this, it is impossible to renew them because they crucified Jesus all over again. So falling away is not simply falling into temptation and not just struggling with sin. Um, it is, in this context, it's specifically publicly denying Jesus in the midst of persecution. Jesus says this in Matthew 10. If you deny me before people, I'll deny you before the Father. This is intense language. This isn't just, I didn't send that email that someone forwarded to me that says, you know, if you deny me before men, you'll disown me. I mean, it's just like, how many of you, you know, back in the days of AOL, got like a thousand of those emails a year, and you're just like, oh, Jesus, do I send this or not? Like, you know. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> Um, but even though these are Christians of Jewish background, this applies to Gentiles as well, friends. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is reminding Gentile Christians about Israel. All of them came out of Egypt. All of them baptized in the Red Sea. All of them, the cloud of glory comes every day in the wilderness. Cloud of glory in the, in the, in the worship center. Cloud of glory has got you on the floor groaning. All of them ate manna from heaven, drank and ate the Lord's Supper, witnessed miracles, but only two made it to the promised land. They engaged in idolatry and sexual immorality. And this is a sobering warning to Christians that it is very possible to start well, but not finish well. We want to finish well. Um, so, should I be anxious? Should I worry if I am, have fallen away or, or could fall away? I mean, just real practically, if you're like, oh, have I fallen away? Um, how do I know that I'll, Jesus will take me back? I just tell you, just go right to him. Just go to Jesus. See what he says to you. See if he takes you back. My assumption is that most people in this room are in a place where, and I, I'd say, 
I don't know any of you that wouldn't classify under this, that, that Jesus will have you back. That, that, that there, is, there is a place for you today to come back into Jesus. Um, so I've given you the sobering pill, but we're going to talk about the hopeful pill too. I don't know why I'm using the word pill, but um, we'll say cookie instead. <laughs> or healthy, gluten-free, sugar-free, all-natural. <laughs> so, um, Hebrews 6, we're, um, I don't want to take us too much longer, so I'm not going to read these again. We already read it. But um, the writer is giving this sobering message because he's saying, um, I, he's saying, I don't, um, we actually don't believe this actually applies to you. He says in, in, other, in New American Standard, we're convinced of better things for you. So there's a they. There's like, this is a real possibility. But we're so convinced of something better for you. And I just want to tell you as your pastor, I'm convinced of something better for each of you in this room. I'm convinced that there is a promise available to you. I'm convinced that, that, that we really can get on track and move forward in God. And, and he's saying to them, but I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be sluggish. I don't want you to be lazy. I don't want you to start drifting back and start letting those seeds of sin, of doubt, of unbelief, start getting your heart hard against God. So I'm going to shake you a little bit, but then I'm going to encourage the heck out of you. And here's what he does. He says, there, there's God. God's not forgetting what you've done. God's not forgotten what you've sacrificed to be a Christian in this room. God's not forgotten the relationships that you've said goodbye to. God's not forgotten the time that you've spent in prayer and the word. God's not forgotten um, um, your, your effort when you're like, I've got like five crying kids and I'm trying to get to church, you know, in time for worship. Like God sees every single one of these things. You're like, oh, Lord, I just feel like I'm not good enough. But I'm here, God. Like he sees that and he loves that and he's going to reward you for it. Every, everything that you're giving to him now, he's remembering. He's going to reward you from it. But he says, what I want you to do is not get lazy and sluggish, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, faith and patience, Inherit what was promised. So it's a now faith, but it's a long-lasting faith. No matter what happens, no matter how hot the pressure gets, I'm going to keep with it. I'm going to stay forward in Jesus. I'm going to do what he says. So how can I live secure in Christ with such a sobering warning? Two things. God's promise and God's oath. God made a promise to Abraham Surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And Abraham had to hold on to this thing. And God not only promised that he would do this for Abraham, but he made a binding oath. And when we make an oath, we typically, we swear by something more powerful or greater than I am. Um, they don't do this in any courts anymore that, that I know of, but they used to, you swore on the Bible. I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And you swore on this thing. And, I mean, that act is so intense because you're swearing on something. You know, if I'm lying, may every curse about liars fall upon me. That's basically what you're saying in court. So that's why false witness in the Ten Commandments is bad news. Um, but, um, but God is God. So if he makes Rob and Lindsay a promise... And he confirms it with an oath. He says, I'm going to swear by myself because there's no one greater. And I'm going to guarantee the promise of salvation 
to Rob and Lindsay. And so that when their heart may seem to condemn them, you're not good enough, you don't do this, well, da-da-da, they said, no, God made a promise. And God swore by himself that he is going to keep me and make me strong until the end. This is what he did for Abraham. Uh, um, but, but Abraham had to strengthen himself in faith to where he was and give glory to God. So he had to resist doubt, fear, unbelief. He had to resist the situation in front of him. He had to declare the promise of God. This goes for salvation, and this goes for prophetic promises that we have. It, it both applies. But I'm telling you, you can live secure in who you are in Jesus Christ because God has promised. And God, it's his promise and his oath produce something very powerful that keeps us strong to the end, and that's hope. God wants to fill us with hope. And this hope anchors us. It keeps us steady. When temptation comes, nope, hope of his promise. I'm going to go for the promise. It anchors us. When condemnation comes, you're not good enough. You're not going to die. God's not going to have you back. Hope. God, no. God promised that I'm a son of God. I have a free gift of righteousness, and he's going to carry me through to the end. Jesus, I'm believing you today. Help God. And you stay in. It anchors you. He is able to keep you from stumbling, from falling away, and to present you into his glorious presence with exceeding joy. And then Hebrews closes with this. This hope not only anchors us, but it leads us in to God's inner sanctuary. Jesus, as a forerunner, has already gone there. As a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's stand. You know, we've taken a big dose of Of the, of the sober cookie, the sober bottle. And I, I, I really do, my prayer is that if we have gone to this place of wavering, of drifting, of unbelief, um, that something today just re-centered us and realigned us. I want to tell you today that this, what, what, this warning in here, I hope it sobers you. But I'm convinced that there's better for us, friends. I'm convinced because God's promised us something. And God's sworn by himself. And you can live secure in Christ today. And so if you today need to realign, if you have been wavering and drifting away, if you have been hardened in your heart towards God and something hit you, and you're like, oh, God, I want to get back in today. I want, to, I want to plead with you. Come up for prayer at the end. Um, come in and get realigned. Because I tell you, if you're still going that path, and even what I've said today hasn't shaken you out, you are in extreme danger if you keep going in that direction. But for those that say yes today, that have said, yes, God, you've promised, you're faithful through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. Here I am, God. I want to tell you today, God is able to keep you in that place. He's able to preserve you by his divine power. 
And I want to pray over you right now that God would strengthen you in that. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you have made each of us sharers in that Holy Spirit. That you have showed us the goodness of God. We've tasted it. And we just remember today, God, that taste that we have. We remember our initial salvation experience. We remember how you set us free from darkness and oppression. We remember how you built us up in our walk with the Lord. We remember how you intervened in this point, in this point in our lives. We thank you, God. And Father, I ask you for a strengthening to come over each person in this, in this room today. And Lord, I pray for those that needed a sober wake-up call. I ask God by your Holy Spirit now, you come. You draw them back. You draw them back to that narrow path. You take them off that path of destruction right now, Lord. Just lead them back. Lead them back in right in the center. Just let him lead you. If that's you, just let him lead your heart right there back into the center of his will. Back into faith. Back into trusting him again. Back into following again. Him again. Gonna let him minister to you for a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Lead them back, God. Lord, and I pray for those that have just are here again saying yes. God, yes, I'm gonna believe you today. Not only as a Christian, I'm going to believe your promises. I'm going to believe everything you've spoken. Promises of salvation, I'm going to believe today. I'm going to reject that voice of condemnation. Because Jesus says that if you come to me, I will not cast you out. God, I pray you strengthen us. We would not be fearful or anxious because, Lord, you keep us. You uphold us with your righteous right hand. To every yes in this room. God, you have such a a bigger yes. You have a promise and an oath. And I pray now for the power of that promise of the free gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ to strengthen our hearts right now. And for that binding oath that you made, that you swore by yourself that you would do this. You would strengthen each person in this room. Keep them, God, from falling away. Keep them from stumbling. Keep them from tempting situations. Keep them from lies and doubts and fears about who they are in Christ and where they're going forward in God, where you're taking the body of Christ right now. I pray, God, you just come by your spirit and get the body going where you're taking us. Shake us out of all spiritual dullness and sluggishness. Strengthen us to persevere to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.